Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, another day and another thousand point move in the Dow Jones. This time it was a thousand points to the downside. I think on the lows, we were down better than 1,100, but we didn't quite close down a thousand. We're only down 969, spot 58. That's a 3.58% decline of course the biggest carnage again is in the transports they were down over 500 points today 501 that's 5.27 percent can't remember the last time i saw that big a drop in one day we're now down better than 20 percent in the dow jones transport so that is officially a bear market i think we have about another five percent or so before we get to the low from uh december of 2018 uh, and once we take that out, I think it's a long way down. Uh, the low from January 2015 is way, way down there. That would be about a 45% drop from the peak of this uh, bull uh, to that level. Ultimately, we could go lower than that. Uh, but the carnage, particularly heavy in the financials as well, the banks really getting beaten up as yields are plunging. The yield on the 10-year Treasury got all the way down to 0.899 at the lows, so below 0.9 of a percent. We ended up closing at 0.926, so well below the one level. So we have a zero handle now on the yield on the 10-year. Remember, the Fed funds rate is between one and a quarter and one and a half. Uh, so the markets are anticipating rather dramatic rate cuts. Uh, in fact, 50 basis points. Jeff Gunlock, I'm going to talk a little bit about him uh, later. He was on CNBC today. But one of the things he said is he predicted the Fed would cut rates by 50 basis points at its next meeting. Uh, it may not wait till then. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll have another surprise intermeeting cut uh, overnight or tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, but clearly, the market is pricing in lower rates and the Fed is going to deliver because the Fed, unfortunately, never fails to deliver on what the market is expecting. Now, you know, yesterday we had a rise. The Dow was up 
better than 1,100 points. In fact, if it wasn't for Monday's record-breaking increase, yesterday it would have been the biggest point gain ever. But it was only the second biggest point gain ever because the biggest point gain ever was on Monday. But, you know, we were down over 1,000 points on Friday intraday before the Fed talked the market up and we had that rally to close down maybe a few hundred, I forget exactly. But Monday... We were up over 1,000. Tuesday, we actually closed down over 1,000. Then Wednesday, we closed up over 1,000. Today, we almost closed down over 1,000, but just barely. Now, the catalyst for yesterday's 1,100-point rally was the results of Super Tuesday, where the risk of Sanders being the next president was completely taken off the table. I think the odds are extremely slim now that Sanders is going to be able to win. I mean, it's now a long shot that he even wins the nomination. It seems like Joe Biden has pretty much got it sewn up. Now, I heard today that Elizabeth Warren is dropping out. Now, she hasn't endorsed Sanders. uh, And if she really wanted to help Sanders, she would have dropped out before Super Tuesday and endorsed him, just like all the other people dropped out and endorsed Biden. In fact, I think they kept her in as a double agent just to really make sure that Biden won more primaries by having her take some of the votes away from Sanders. But we'll see. But even if she were to endorse him now, I think it's too little too late. I think uh, Sanders is pretty much done and Biden is the nominee. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Dow was so strong That was a relief rally uh, that the worst case scenario of Sanders becoming president was now off the table. Now, I don't think the markets really uh, discounted uh, the probability of a Sanders victory. I think most people just assumed that even if Sanders won, uh, that he was going to lose in the general. So I think most people thought Sanders being the nominee was actually good for the stock market because it pretty much guaranteed Trump has a second term. But I think the news of Biden winning uh, was able to lift the market that day because I think Wall Street has created this uh, this nice scenario for itself that, well, Biden is okay. that even if Biden is the next president, well, it's okay for the stock market. No, it's not. I mean, if you think the stock market is up because of tax cuts and deregulation done by Trump, well, what are we going to get by Biden? We're going to get tax hikes and more regulation. We're going to have the opposite. So, I mean, if tax cuts and deregulation is what's good for stocks, how could tax hikes and more regulation also be good for stocks? So it's just pure delusional, wishful thinking if you're thinking that it doesn't matter and that Biden is just as good for the stock market as Trump. He's not, right? Those policies are negative. Meanwhile, the Democratic Party is moving further and further to the left. And if you don't think Sanders is going to have a big influence on that party, you are sadly mistaken because Biden needs Sanders. He needs Sanders' endorsement, just like Hillary Clinton did. He needs Sanders. He needs his voters. He needs the volunteers. He needs those young people energized. So Sanders is going to have a big role in that platform. He's going to have a role in a Biden administration. Uh, And so he's going to keep moving left. So and, and Biden himself, I mean, he's not some moderate. I mean, anybody's a moderate if you compare them to uh, Bernie Sanders. So, I mean, Sanders is there to make these other guys look that they're not so bad, but they're pretty damn bad. He's a big liberal. 
And, and so we're going to get a lot more government, a lot more government spending, much higher taxes on corporations, on capital, on higher income. We're going to get a lot more regulation. This is decisively bad. And the possibility of Biden winning is greater than what the possibility would have been for Sanders. Because I kept thinking that even if we were in a recession on election day, it was possible that Trump could beat Sanders. Possible, not, you know, not a, a sure thing, but I thought he could because Sanders is so radical, so out there that maybe there was still enough common sense among enough of the electorate that they wouldn't want to take a chance on Sanders. Now, maybe they would, but if the alternative is Biden, who is you know, positioned as a mainstream Democrat, a return to the good old days of Obama, which that's how they're going to frame this election, that Obama handed Trump a great economy and he squandered it just like he does everything else he inherits. If we are in recession in November and if we are in a bear market, Trump can't win. Biden is the next president of the United States. And the markets are not pricing that reality in because that is a very dangerous thing for the market, could be worse than the coronavirus, uh, and it's being discounted. So the fact that Biden is pretty much sewn up this nomination is not actually a good thing. It is a bad thing. Yes, we take the worst case scenario off the table, but we put a Democrat winning on the table with a much higher probability that's still going to be very damaging for the economy. And of course, it will be damaging for the market. But the market is overvalued anyway. The market's going to go down even if Trump gets reelected. It's just going to go down even more if he's not. We're going into a recession even if Trump gets reelected. In fact, we may be in the recession for the entirety of his second term. And we can easily be in an even worse depression for the entirety of the Biden term. And that could pave the way for who knows what, AOC or, you know, or something else. But so I think that rally was just a, a, a relief rally. It was a uh, opportunity to sell. It, had, it wasn't a change of trend. And today's action pretty much proves that, that we lost pretty much the entire rally in one day, despite the, the bond market collapsing. I mean, imagine where stocks would be had the Fed not cut rates. Imagine how much worse this would be if the Fed wasn't cushioning the fall and if the market wasn't convinced that the Fed was going to come to the rescue again. You know, I keep hearing all the time on the television shows, everybody is talking about what the government has to do, what the Federal Reserve should do, uh, what the government can do to stimulate the economy. Look, they shouldn't do anything. The reason the economy is so screwed up, the reason we are so vulnerable to this coronavirus is because of all of the stimulus in the past. That is the problem. Because we are so levered up, we are susceptible. That's what I've been talking about. Look, the Federal Reserve has kept the economy from restructuring to the point that we could weather uh, a downturn, right? The Fed has kept companies in business that should have gone out of business a long time ago. So these companies have been able to borrow more and more money that they're never going to be able to repay. The same thing with individuals. People who should have gone bankrupt years ago are not bankrupt. They just have more debt thanks to the Fed. So instead of reducing the debt and replenishing our savings, we've gone deeper and deeper into debt 
because all the Fed has done, every time the Fed has come to the rescue to solve a problem, A, it's trying to solve a problem that it created, but B, it's not solving the problem, it's just making the problem worse. All it succeeds in doing is delaying the day of reckoning with the problem. But because they made the problem worse, when we get to the day of reckoning, we have a much bigger problem to reckon with. Now, of course, people are going to think, well, they'll just do it again. They'll just kick the can down the road again. We'll just blow up a bigger bubble. I think that's impossible. I think the Fed's bubble blowing days are over. I think this next dose of stimulus is going to be the overdose of stimulus, right? That is going to kill the dollar and that ultimately is going to kill the bond market. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Even though the bond market is continuing to rise, If the dollar is going to tank, why would anybody want to buy a 10-year U.S. Treasury with such a low yield, right? If inflation is going to move up to 5% or 10% or something higher than that, who's going to buy a 10-year Treasury that doesn't even pay 1%? Just the Fed. There's no safe haven, but it's not just Treasuries. Look what's happening to corporate bonds. You know, Gunlock was talking about, too, about, well, the Fed needs to start buying corporate bonds. Yeah, because if they don't, the prices are going to implode. A lot of these uh, bonds are going to be downgraded to junk status. I mean, they should have been junk a long time ago, uh, but now they're going to be junk now. Look, I mean, think about this economy. I mean, the U.S. government, we've got the lowest interest rates in history, despite the biggest deficits in history, and despite the prospects for the deficits skyrocketing. The amount of inflation that the Federal Reserve is going to be creating in the future based on all this debt, all these liabilities, funded and unfunded, we should be paying very high rates of interest. Had the Fed let interest rates go up a long time ago, the government would have been forced to cut spending. It wouldn't have had a choice. Instead, it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the debt bubble got bigger and bigger and bigger because the Fed gave them an easy way out. Well, now we're going to have to pay the piper for all of that, right? The Fed has created this situation. And so when that bond bubble pops, when the dollar bubble pops, that's it. I mean, look at the U.S. dollar index down today. It was down about 80 basis points. This is a new low for the move. I mean, most of the the move is uh, concentrated in the safe haven currencies. Uh, So the dollar wasn't down against all the currencies, but it had a big move down against the euro. Euro up almost a full percent. The dollar down about one and a quarter percent in terms of the Japanese yen, about 1.2 percent in terms of the Swiss franc. So the dollar is going down, but it hasn't crashed yet, but it should and it will. That is what's coming. And so ultimately what the Fed is going to do by creating more inflation, by printing more money is just going to be driving up the cost of consumer goods, right? Because if the Fed lowers interest rates, again, it's not going to cause people to uh, fly on airplanes or go to restaurants if they're worried about the coronavirus. It's not going to change that behavior at all. Uh, but it is going to throw fuel on the fire. The same thing with fiscal stimulus. I'm hearing a lot of people now saying, you know, maybe the Fed can't do it. Maybe this monetary policy isn't going to work this time. 
because of course it's never worked, right? It's just kicked a can down the road, but maybe they realize that we're kind of out of road. And so we should have fiscal policy. You know, even Jeff Gunlock in his interview said, yeah, you know, we should have fiscal stimulus and we're going to have fiscal stimulus. I agree with Jeff, we're going to get fiscal stimulus, but I disagree with his assertion that it's the correct policy or that it's actually going to work in the short run. I mean, he says it doesn't work in the long run, but he expects it to work in the short run. I don't. Right. If the government just sends people checks, which is basically what he's saying, stimulus checks like George Bush did, just mail everybody 500 bucks or a thousand bucks, whatever. Um, if they do that again, they're not going to buy an airline ticket. It's not going to help the airlines. Right. They're just going to go to Walmart or uh, online or, or Amazon and just buy something. Or maybe they'll just go to the grocery store and hoard up more food. Uh, and so it's just going to make prices go up. It's not going to solve the problem, and it may make the dollar go down. In fact, it may make it crash. That's what I'm thinking, and as the dollar really starts to implode, that's when you see a big increase in consumer prices and then a big increase in long-term interest rates. The Fed has to lose control, unless the Fed just buys everything. But if they buy all the bonds because the yields are so negative in real terms, then the dollar completely implodes, and then the fact that you can borrow money doesn't even matter. Because what good is borrowing money that nobody wants? If nobody will accept dollars in exchange for goods or services because their value is diminishing so quickly, it doesn't matter if you can borrow them. It doesn't matter what the interest rate is. And obviously, if they want to stop that, if they want to prevent the worst case scenario from the United States dollar going the way of the Zimbabwe dollar, then the Fed has to eventually uh, admit that everything it did in the past was wrong. And it has to let interest rates go up, except now they're going to go much higher than they would have gone had they let them go up 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But now, because the debt bubble is so much bigger, the collapse is so much more painful, which is why they're doing everything they can uh, to delay the day of reckoning for as long as they can. But, you know, I think they're out of time. Now, while the stock market was going down, gold was going up. Gold was up about $35 today. We're now above $1,670. As I'm recording this, it's about $1,671 spot eight. You know, we're only about 20 bucks now, less than $20 from the high price from February 24th when we spiked up to $1,690, right? And then we had that sharp correction that caused gold stocks to drop by 20% last week. Now, they've recovered maybe about half of those gains, but still, even though gold itself, look at GLD, which is the ETF for gold, was up 2.16% today. GDXJ, the junior miners, was up 1.8%. They didn't even go up as much as the price of gold. In fact, I just said we're only about 1% from the high from February 24th. But if you look at the GDXJ, it's about 14% below the high that it put in on February 24th. Not as bad as at GDX, the seniors, it's only about 6% below the high from that day. But the fact that these stocks have sold off so much on a slight decline in the price of gold, again, it just shows you how bearish uh, investors are. And you have to realize there is a big difference between people who buy gold and people who are investing in gold mining stocks. They're different people. Because when you're buying physical gold, you're buying a safe haven. You're buying a store of value. You're buying a highly liquid asset as an alternative to other liquid assets, maybe like the dollar or the euro or, or the yen or something like that. Central banks have a choice. They can hold reserves in currencies or they can hold more reserves in gold 
And I think the smart central banks continue to buy gold to shore up their reserves, uh, to prepare for a dollar collapse when uh, gold is remonetized. So you have that continuous demand on the part of central banks who need more gold. Uh, but you have savers around the world who see the price of gold hitting a new high every single day in their currency. That hasn't happened yet in the U.S. It will be soon, but it hasn't happened. But it's happening every day. We're making new highs. And, and what people are seeing is not really the price of gold going up, but the value of their currency going down. And they can't really earn much in the way of interest by depositing that currency in the bank. And of course, even if they do that, they risk the bank failing and a bail-in or something like that. So there is real demand all over the world for gold as an alternative to fiat money. Now, when you look at gold stocks, it's a different set of investors that do that. I mean, yeah, there's some people like me that understand what's going on and that are buying gold stocks and have been holding them. But we are a tiny minority, right? The real money is in the pensions, in the endowments, in the hedge funds. And you have portfolio managers, by and large, managing a lot of other people's money. And they have no idea why anybody is buying gold because they're not buying any gold themselves. They think it's a bunch of kooks that are buying gold. And they assume the price of gold is going to fall. They think, well, gold's only going up because people are worried about the coronavirus or eventually we'll find a cure and the price of gold is going to come crashing down. I mean, people have been expecting the price of gold to crash for the entire last four years as it's been going from 1000 to now almost 1700 right? Over a 60% increase in the price of gold. And people on Wall Street have been skeptical of the entire rally and been waiting for the bottom to drop out. They think gold's going below 1000 right? So because of that forward view on the future price of gold, they don't want to invest in a mining company, right? When you're investing in a mining company, you are making a bet on what you think the price of gold is going to be in the future. Because whenever you buy a stock, you're buying the future earnings discounted to the present. So you have to have a view, right? What is this company going to earn in five years, in 10 years? And if you just assume the price of gold is going to crash, you don't think they're going to earn anything. So it's because these institutional investors have no idea what's happening in the economy, right? They're as clueless as they were before the financial crisis of 08. They don't know enough to buy gold stocks because they don't understand why other people are buying gold because they're not buying it themselves because they don't understand. So all we have is a great opportunity for the people who do understand to buy up these stocks because eventually they're going to figure it out and then the price is going to go ballistic, right? You don't want to wait until all the institutions are buying gold stocks. You want to own your gold stocks before the institutions come in and start buying because then the prices are going to go up dramatically because there's not a lot of stocks there. It's a tiny, tiny sector. There's not a lot of room for any kind of real allocation. That's what I said in my last podcast. I mean, all this noise is day traders. These are people on margin trading. This is nothing. Wait till real money starts to move into this sector. It's going to, and it's actually going to move in a big way, but it doesn't even take a big move. It just takes a small move right, to make a big impact on the market. So just just buy, just keep on buying. Again, I my gold fund, Europe Pacific Gold Fund, I think is the best way to go. EPGFX is one of the symbols. We have various classes. You can buy it directly on my website, europepacificfunds.com. You can buy it through a Europe Pacific broker, or you could buy it at Schwab, Fidelity, E-Trade, any place that has my mutual funds on its platform. You know, interestingly enough, you know, while investors in um, 
gold stocks are very, very skeptical, right? And so they see the price of gold going up and they don't believe it's real and they expect it to fall. So they're not willing to commit to these gold stocks. Although, you know, Newmont Mining made a new 52-week high today, you know, up 2%. It's up about 20% on the year. So it's not bad. I mean, but gold's up better than 9% on the year. Newmont should be up more. But there are a lot of stocks that are not making 52-week highs. There's still a lot of gold stocks that are down uh, on the year. They're not even up. But I did watch on CNBC yesterday, Jim Cramer on his show recommended Barrick Gold, which was up 3% today, not at a 52-week high, but it's doing better than most uh, gold stocks this year. The high was 22.57, it closed at 21.16, but that's probably one of the better recommendations he's made. I mean, he actually is bullish on gold and he's telling people to buy Barrick Gold. So I guess not all the advice you get on CNBC is bad, just most of it. I mean, almost all of it. Other than that one thing, pretty much it's all bad advice. But the point I was about to make before I got sidetracked is that while investors in gold stocks are just very, very skeptical as gold is climbing a wall of worry, people who are buying Bitcoin in the stock market have the opposite perspective. They are so excited and enthusiastic. And every time the price of Bitcoin goes up even a little bit, they think it's about to moon, right? Which is go way up. So today, Bitcoin finally caught a bit of a bid and it rose by about 3%, which is not really that big a rise. I mean, gold was up by more than 2%. You know, back in the day, years and years ago, when, when Bitcoin was marketed as digital gold, if gold was up 3%, Bitcoin could go up 10% or 15%, right? Bitcoin used to make huge moves that supposedly made the risk of holding it worthwhile. But if the best it can do when gold is up 2.2% is go up 3%, I mean, is really, is that little bit of extra gain worth all of the extra risk that you get in holding Bitcoin? So Bitcoin was up 3% today, yet uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust was up 9%, three times the move in the price of Bitcoin because people who are buying on the stock market, right? Because that's the only way you could buy Bitcoin in your brokerage account is to buy uh, Grayscale Trust. So all these guys on Robinhood are getting so excited. They think the thing's going to moon and they're clicking, you know, buy GBTC and they're bidding this thing up. Well, you know, if Bitcoin doesn't moon, that thing is going to crash. In fact, ironically, the coronavirus could end up being the pin that not only pricks the stock market bubble and may prick you know, the bond market bubble eventually too. It may prick all the bubbles, but the one I'm thinking of in particular is it may be the pin that pricks the Bitcoin bubble. Because if Bitcoin can't rally on what's going on right now, then when is it going to rally? I mean, this is the perfect scenario for Bitcoin, right? What's happening right now is exactly what's supposed to send investors piling into Bitcoin, right? Because A, you have this uh, potential crisis where people don't even want to use cash, right? Because they're afraid to touch it because they're going to get germs. They're going to get the coronavirus. So this is perfect for digital currency, right? You can exchange it. You don't have to actually be in person. You can do it over the internet. Uh, we should have more e-commerce. So this is supposedly ideal to the extent that anybody actually was going to use Bitcoin 
as a medium of exchange, which they don't, but hey, this is it. But also, uh, look what's happening in the financial markets. You have panic, you have pandemonium, you have crashes in stocks, right? You have currencies, the dollar is falling, you have the Federal Reserve slashing interest rates, emergency interest rates, right? Gold is rising, you know, big moves. All this stuff is supposed to make Bitcoin go up, right? All this, you know, they're killing fiat currencies, they're slashing interest rates, stocks are going down, people should be looking in a safe haven. Now, I know the Bitcoin bugs are now trying to reinvent Bitcoin and say, oh, we never said it was digital gold. We never said it was a safe haven. It's just, uh, you know, a non-correlated asset. Well, if it just doesn't go up, if it never goes up, and that's the correlation, hey, we could just go sideways when everything else is going up and down. Well, what's the point of owning something that just goes sideways when it could collapse? And if a lot of people see that Bitcoin does not go up with this coronavirus, with crashing stock prices, with a, a, a dropping dollar, with soaring gold prices, if none of this makes Bitcoin go up, then what's it going to do? It's going to go down, right? There's an old saying, uh, in the stock market, that when a stock doesn't rally on good news, that's bad news, right? Because I know there are people who are buying Bitcoin now. Clearly, there are people that are going out and buying. They're seeing all this stuff happening and, oh, yeah, yeah, this is it, this is it. They're buying Bitcoin. But that buying is not pushing up the price. Why? Because somebody who already owns Bitcoin is selling. That is the problem. There are people who are trying to get out Right? And that's why the price isn't going up as other people are rushing to get in. Well, what happens when those people stop rushing? The people who want out are still going to want to get out. And once the speculators realize that there's no upside to Bitcoin, then there's only downside. And then instead of thinking about how much money they're going to make and the Lambos they're going to buy, now they start thinking about the money they're going to lose and they want to get out. And of course, if we end up in a big recession, which we could easily end up in, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And that includes a lot of millennials whose only savings are in Bitcoin. And if you're out of work, but you still need gas to drive your car and you still need to buy food and you don't have a paycheck, but you have Bitcoin, what are you going to do? You're going to sell your Bitcoin. Now, you can't take your Bitcoin to the grocery store because he doesn't want your Bitcoin. He wants cash. Right. And so the Bitcoin is going to fall victim to the same thing that everything else is. It's going to collapse when people want liquidity. There's going to be no one there to buy. So ironically, all you people who are out there thinking that this is great for Bitcoin, this is your pin too. your bubble has been pricked. I want to just finish up the podcast, though, by talking about the economic data uh, that we're going to get tomorrow. I don't know how relevant it even is because all of this is pre-coronavirus. In fact, we did get some factory orders that were out today. Again, very weak. I think this is the sixth consecutive year-over-year decline. Uh, we were supposed to drop uh, by 0.1. Uh, this, again, is a January number. And instead, we dropped by 0.5, which exceeded even the worst estimate of the range from minus 0.4 to up 1.8. But again, January number. This is long before the coronavirus became a problem. So if factory orders were this week before the coronavirus, imagine how weak they're going to be once the coronavirus is factored in. But the other number that we get tomorrow, the two big numbers uh, are the employment number and the trade number. Now, of course, the trade number is not big for anybody else but me because no one cares about that anymore. But I always think it's a big number. And one of these days, other people are going to agree with me. 
but everybody uh, waits on pins and needles for the job numbers. But you know what? This may be the first jobs report that's actually a non-event because, again, it's a February number. Uh, the coronavirus, yes, it kind of became a problem in late February, but kind of too late to impact uh, payrolls or hiring. So I think the numbers that might reflect layoffs may be the March numbers, but more likely the April numbers are when the layoffs are really going to start. And clearly, this is what's going to happen, right? Because if a lot of companies have a lot of debt, and all of a sudden their cash flow is interrupted, what do they do? They start laying people off. You know, think about it. Where have all the jobs? I've been dissecting these uh, uh, payroll numbers uh, when they come out. We've been creating the most jobs in leisure and hospitality, right? Restaurant workers, hotels, right? That's where all the job creation has been. Well, that's where all the demand destruction is being destroyed. That's the part of the economy that's getting hit the hardest. Travel and leisure. People aren't going to restaurants because they don't want to be in crowded areas. People aren't traveling, so they're not going to hotels. So where we've been adding all the jobs, that's where all the layoffs are going to be. I mean, think about that. And, you know, there's a lot of these companies, too, uh, hotels and that got levered up. They got bought out by private equity companies who loaded them up with debt. I mean, so they're really going to have to get out in front of this and start laying off a lot of workers quickly to reduce their payroll so they have more money so they can pay some of their bills because they're not going to have revenue coming in. Now, also, there could be some of these businesses that have insurance for this. I'm not sure uh, what this falls under, uh, maybe a business interruption or some insurance policies, but I'm sure a lot of companies are not insured for this. And to the extent that somebody provided the insurance, well, that, that, that company is in trouble because they might have a lot of policies that they wrote and they might not have the money to pay. Talk about the counterparty risk, but there's going to be a lot of layoffs. And as I said earlier in the podcast, these people being laid off when they don't have a paycheck, they can't pay their bills. They can't pay the interest on their debt. So what happens to the people that were expecting that money? Now, I mean, so the layoffs are going to trickle throughout the whole economy. It's going to happen quickly. And now you're going to have a bunch of unemployed people going to the polls in November. Who are they going to vote for? The guy that was president when they lost their job or the guy that's promising them something for nothing, right? A quick fix. The guy who's blaming Trump because Trump made the mistake of saying, this is my economy. I own it right? Look at how high the stock market is. That proves how great I am. I made America great again. All of our problems are behind us, right? And now all of a sudden we have a bigger problem than ever before. And all because of a little virus, coronavirus. If the economy was really strong, it could have withstood that. The reason that it couldn't, the reason that it's so susceptible is because it was a big, fat, ugly bubble, only bigger and fatter and uglier than it was when Trump inherited it from Obama. But instead of correctly uh, labeling it that way as president and preparing the country for what was required to deflate it and the sacrifices that needed to be made to really make America great again, he just adopted that bubble as his own, pretended it was a booming economy and took credit for it. And so now he's going to take the blame, as will all of the policies that he has unfortunately associated himself with, smaller government, tax cuts, deregulation. And he has laid the foundation for President Biden. 